This is Glenn Barth. I'm with Good Cities. We are pleased to have each of you on our Businesses Doing Good call today. You know, each month we do a conference call on the third Thursday of the month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And usually we focus an interview with a business leader who has built their for-profit model with an intention uh, to make a profit while making a difference in their city or community, or in some cases in many cities or communities, such as was the case when we interviewed uh, the leaders of Caribou Coffee and uh, also BW Leadership recently. Uh, and uh, sometimes uh, when, we, when we do this, you know, we're so focused on the individual model that we don't look at the big picture of what's going on. And so today we're going to be doing something a little unusual. We're uh, going to step back and we're going to take a wider view. And by the way, all of the interviews that we do on this call are available at goodcities.net under the resource section uh, under podcasts. You'll find a recording of each of the calls that we've done so far. Uh, today, we're going to step back and we're going to take that wider view. And instead of having like a microscope that looks closely at one business, we're going to be looking uh, not just at individual stories, but we're going to be looking at the big picture of what we believe we're discovering is taking place. Businesses are moving toward a model of flourishing in which they're looking at the positive difference that they can have in a community that they may serve by doing good in that community. Today we have as our guest, Dr. Reggie McNeil, who enjoys helping people, leaders, and Christian organizations determine and experience epic wins with kingdom impact. Reggie serves as a city coach with Good Cities, and uh, he has uh, the honorary title of Senior Fellow with Leadership Network, recognizing his work for the past 10 years as a missional specialist. Reggie works with city and community leaders across the country, and he builds cross-domain collaborative efforts that can move the needle on big societal issues. He provides coaching for individuals and teams in becoming more missionally focused and kingdom-biased in their ministry and work. Business leaders have also engaged Reggie because of the way he brings leaders together to understand how we can address important issues in this time of rapid societal change. Reggie's written over 10 books, and his most recent book is Kingdom Collaborators, Eight Signature Themes of Leaders Who Turn the World Upside Down, published by InterVarsity Press this year, 2018. Reggie, welcome to our call today. I'm glad to be here, Glenn. Glad to hear uh, some friends on the call as well. You know, as we uh, as we think about... Uh, as we think about the big picture, Reggie, talk to us a little bit about where the notion of a flourishing city comes from. First of all, I think the there is an archetypal image of uh, a good kingdom that is in all of our minds, hearts. Um, it's just a part of our collective consciousness with the assumption that things should be better than they are. And I always relate that. Um, and uh, connect that in people's thinking to the kingdom of God, because it all starts with God, comes from God. Uh, he is the good king, and in fact, um, he does have a better plan uh, or a better future for us than the one we're experiencing now. 
In fact, the way I explain the kingdom is is a very life centric, not a um, not a territorial approach or institutional approach. But I think the kingdom is life as God intends. We open up the Bible with a garden with a tree of life in the middle. We end the Bible in a city with a river of life uh, bordered by trees of life. And Jesus says in the middle of the book, I'm the way, the truth, the life. And in case we didn't get it, I've come to give you life. And he backs up one more time and give you abundant life. So I think this whole idea of flourishing is, first of all, anchored in a very deep concept and overarching uh, narrative that uh, really uh, is the big story of all, and that's the kingdom of God. Now, more closely uh, to us, there's several things pushing this, uh, the, the whole rise of community, the focus on community, and now I am talking about local, geographic, uh, regional kinds of, of expression, as well as uh, the, the notion of, of community as part of our human experiences. We yearn uh, even at the most private levels, for, uh, for to be in community, again, exp- uh, reflecting that image of God that's built into us. Uh, but uh, as, as the consensus builds that we can't look to uh, national leaders, I mean, my goodness, we don't need any more commentary on that than what's going on this week. You know, Washington can't fix it. Uh, it really, the mantle falls down to the local level as people work together to make a better life for the people around them. And so I think all of this is coalescing and coming together um, because I do think God is mashing on the uh, the kingdom uh, pedal pretty, pretty strong. Uh, and I think that the uh, ills that confront us, these, these, uh, I mean, the life that's been taken away or, or demand, uh, diminished or, or hijacked by uh, another kingdom or or by other forces, um, I think those ills are, are growing and our awareness of those. And so the urgency is there and the people that can pick it up uh, reside in local cities, communities. And, um, and so I, I think those are things that are coming together, uh, really a, a coalescing of forces that are pushing us to look for more flourishing uh, environments for folks. Reggie, it really sounds like your uh, big vision is that God cares about people and he cares about people right where they are in cities where people can experience uh, neighborhood living and and, uh, interaction with others. And uh, it's very significant, Reggie, that that God cares first about the fact that, uh, that our lives are not meant to be lived in a humdrum way, but they're really meant to be. Uh, opportunities for us to use the gifts and talents that God has given us. What are you seeing that encourages you in the development of flourishing cities? Well, uh, and, and just to comment on your last comment, you know, people are built to last. Uh, that's that's what sometimes is lost in our discussions. And, and you're right. I mean, God's big agenda is that, you know, uh, when he made Glenn, uh, he had an idea of Glenn, and you're going to you know, live into that skin. It's a really remarkable story. Um, Hmm. But I am encouraged uh, by what I'm seeing happen. First of all, on um, maybe a more granular level, as I'm looking at different people take on different issues and do it in cross-domain collaborative ways, like 
like a Jenny Christensen uh, out there in Sacramento who uh, some years ago started her whole uh, human trafficking uh, campaign or anti, I should say, anti-human trafficking campaign to address that ill. And uh, uh, in uh, later in her life, she wasn't, uh, you know, a young person starting this as she moved to a new area and realized uh, that uh, that problem, she just began to work with state legislators. When I was out there with her, she was working with legislators and and law enforcement and and uh, uh, the social sector, uh, social scientists, social workers, uh, physicians, and um, and then also working with building contractors. And some of your folks may know some of, of, of some of the folks on the call today may be familiar with her courage houses, where she finally decides part of the solution is to give these women who are coming out of the, se- uh, the sex trade uh, a safe place for them, for their children. I saw the same thing in Phoenix at the Dream Center there on that top floor, the old embassy hotel that they've converted into a safe place where they go and they rescue women out of sex trafficking on Friday nights and Saturday nights. I mean, it's not your local church outreach program here. This is a very serious human rescue operation that goes on every single week and they're brought there and it's a secure place and uh, there's medical treatment, there's there's a life skill treatment, there's employment opportunity, all kinds of things are going on. Or you can take Joey Turner over there in Fort Worth who said, give me this uh, corner. Uh, He asked the city council for a corner that uh, in the worst part of town some years ago, and he's turned it into magnet uh, the start of a whole renaissance along uh, a corridor there. He started a he put in brewed restaurant B R E W D. If you go to Fort Worth, eat there. It's fabulous food. And tell Joey, hey, I mean it's fabulous uh, work, and it started. He had a vision that if we could unbundle or or I should say. Um, recapture some some boarded up stuff and put some light where the darkness was, and in fact, it's it's driven uh, darkness out. Or you can take Larry's work there at City Square um, in housing in, in Dallas. I mean, Larry took an old uh, you know clothes closet that you know that had maybe four volunteers that were mad at people coming for their food and clothes that they had, and he's turned it into what a fifteen sixteen million dollar a year deal now with. And he's addressing the housing issue. The fact, I was uh, there just not long ago when he opened his latest uh, housing development, which is a gated community. That's interesting. It's all it's all tiny houses that he's put fifty of these tiny houses. And they're all in trailers, and um, and you have to answer two questions with a yes to be considered. Do you have a drug problem? Yes. Okay. Next, do you have a prison record? Yes. Okay, you're one of our folks that we're going to consider for here. And so he's he's building community because we know from all of our work now in the recovery ministries and, and all of that, that, that being in consistent community over time is the single most important element for transformation of people's lives coming up, whether that's, you know, coming off of drug addiction or alcohol or, or we're going to find out again with the opioid uh, crisis, the same thing. There's got to be a supportive community. Anyway, Larry's partnering with the city of Dallas. Uh, he's for, uh, you know, in this latest housing development, it's just one of his multiple expressions there. Over 2,500 folks have homes. He told, I mean, here, this is what adaptive leadership sounds like. He told the group that I took there 
He said, you know, we've discovered that the cure for homelessness is to give people a home. Uh, you know, what kind of thinking is that? I mean, you know, uh, the typical thing is just warehouse people in shelters and hose them down with food and clothes and uh, and, and, and warmth or cold and, and you know, and, and keep them homeless. So he's actually working to remedy that situation. So these are, um, you know, these are what I call targeted efforts that are working together to literally piece by piece, thread by thread, build the social fabric and the community fabric of a flourishing, you know, as one area begins to flourish, and this has systemic impact across the whole. But I, but I also, uh, in talking building whole communities, just recently, I was out in southeast Washington State, and I don't know if any of our uh, callers are familiar with Brochy Orchards. Uh, you know, I've been hearing about these folks for some time, and I finally sat down with Cheryl. Cheryl and Ralph have over 6,000 acres. They're one of the largest, if not the largest, private uh, family-owned orchard in North America. Uh, over 2,500 employees, um, full-time employees, and then uh, tons of migrant workers that come seasonally. But what? But they're doing business as ministry because what Cheryl and Ralph know is that a lot of the folks that are working for their orchard in their orchards need a lot of help. They are they are uh, communities or part of communities that are at risk or or who are vulnerable. And so one of their uh, core values is to uplift vulnerable communities to meet their own needs. So you can go to, they've built three different communities for folks to have affordable housing and raise their children in, you know, uh, in an area that's, that's safe and, and doing life skills. In fact, they employ one guy just who sits in the coffee shop where I was working or meeting with them. And, you know, and Cheryl says his job is to sit there and talk to people and listen to their problems so that we know. Uh, so he's kind of like the chaplain of that coffee shop, but that accesses uh, the needs and the ongoing concerns of people of this particular community. It's just one of three, and that doesn't even mention their boys' ranch that they run. I mean, these are remarkable people. Um, I mean, among their acquaintances or folks that they studied with, uh, Cheryl and Ralph, you know, put themselves under the tutelage of Mother Teresa and Henry Nowen, I mean, personal tutelage of these folks, because they believe that building sustainable communities uh, and uplifting vulnerable communities, not just for people, but no, they, they have a philosophy of working with people, uh, you know, to, to meet their own needs. So I'm just, I'm just giving you some examples of businesses and cross-domain collaboratives that are really, uh, as I say, knitting social fabric in uh in these communities where they are and taking responsibility for it and they scale up some of them scale like the brochies are thinking of a different scale than say joey who's by the way gone from one restaurant to two but but the point is right where they are right where they live right in the middle of what they see are huge needs these folks are addressing uh, enormous problems i'm encouraged by that well reggie you know i think what i'm hearing from you and this is this is very important for us all to, to hear very clearly. Uh, first of all, just to define a city, a city is, a, is an area of dense population that's characterized by residents, commerce, politics, and culture. And all of those areas, those characteristics of cities, are characteristics that have great potential for redemptive activity, and yet it takes people to see the redemptive opportunity to bring flourishing 
where there's currently brokenness. And uh, you've just told us some great stories about some people who should be lifted up as heroes, as people who see opportunity where there was brokenness. They're creating community and they're creating hope for the future for folks who maybe are on the edge of losing hope themselves. And, uh, and, and we're focused on this, on this call on how commerce, how business uh, creates good in communities and uh, can start with the culture in their business or can start with, uh, uh, you know, just as you mentioned with the broachy orchards or uh, brewed coffee house or each of the illustrations you gave us, tell us about the redemptive opportunities that, that exist in these four areas of residence, commerce, politics, and culture within the city context. Reggie, I'm telling you, I, I, uh, I know uh, that, that uh, what we're trying to do with good cities is we're doing a great deal of work in leadership development. So we're trying to help leaders see these opportunities. Is there a particular kind of leader or leadership that fosters flourishing communities? Well, yeah, I think there is. Uh, you know, as I've looked at uh, and, and reflected over the, you know, hundreds or thousands or whoever, I, m- more hundreds in particular, close range, uh, folks, leaders that I've worked with that seem to have uh, kingdom impact, there are some uh, themes that are practices, characteristics of that those leaders that I think stand out. Um, I can mention a few uh, here. For instance, I can tell you that uh, kingdom leaders are people that are looking to flourishing or re- uh, joining God's redemptive work. It's the, you know it, uh, taking back what hell has stolen from us. Uh, you know they're agitators. Um, you know they they don't accept the status quo. Um, they don't. Uh, you know they'll hear something and and and, and something will get under their skin. And they will begin to foment uh, for uh, for some kind of, of problem solving. Now, interestingly, what's counterintuitive there is those leaders get very good at describing the problem. They immerse themselves uh, in uh, understanding the complexities uh, of whatever the issue is, and then, like Larry James, you know, in a more adaptive leadership mode. They move then to address uh, something in leadership. I mean, uh, business world would call it lead versus lag, lag factors. You know, they 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 get hold of whatever the lead factors are that would make the difference out there, and they begin to agitate and work uh, for that lever, for that leverage. They have a way of reframing and flipping the narrative, um, and um, and they're politically savvy in their agitating. They 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 pick on they. They try to woo people into being as upset as they are. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, Jesus did this. Uh, you know, he would talk about a better world and a flourishing world, and, and a lot of the times he was trying to get uh, people to, to agree with him that things could be better than they were. This certainly was part of his disciple regimen. And so um, so the, the these leaders are really good. They're politically savvy about agitating. Uh, there are a couple others that come to mind. They're really, I mean, there's uh, a, a bunch of them, but I, I would also say they're really good at combining social and spiritual entrepreneurship. Um, you know, you had on the call just, what, a couple of uh, episodes ago, a friend of mine, Rod, Ron Hogue, 
who uh, helps uh, industries and businesses move beyond profit, I think was his phrase that he used. And it's a brilliant phrase. And uh, he's wor- he was working with Crystal. I think he talked about his work with Crystal Clear um, something there. What was what was it? Crystal Clear? <laughs> Clister, uh, Crystal Clear Concepts. He, he concept, works for... Yeah, yeah. Uh, He's a consultant from Galt Strategies, right. and, and he works. Uh, he was working with Crystal Clear Concepts, which is a water purification company. But and what he was doing is helping businesses energize their own people and develop their own people by adopting these villages and and going on mission trips uh, to Africa to this uh, very under resourced, very at, at risk uh, population over there, and. And doing water, but also uh, teaching fishing and agriculture, and just transforming the lives of, of folks in Africa, but transforming the lives of folks in Dallas Fort Worth area that work for that company. So, I mean, that's 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 kind of combining a, a spiritual and social entrepreneurship uh, all at once. Or I can I can think about um, my good friend, who's uh, this is not an American example. I wish it were. But um, Sam, uh, who who works in India, has a magnificent uh, ministry there. But he's been able because uh, he's just a, such an entrepreneurship entrepreneur thinker. You know, he's got a coffee plantation. He says, "I don't, you know, I like coffee." He said, "But that's seventy jobs." Uh, we opened up. Uh, we celebrated a print shop when I was there in October. Opened that up, ribbon cutting for that. That's twenty five more jobs, by the way. To to service the um, 950 plus thousand children that are in his uh, clubs around the country, uh, we would call them backyard Bible clubs or whatever. But uh, and and Sam uh, has been able the Honda dealership for the entire country of India has put their training center on his property, and, and he's and, and and as part of the deal, he got them. To, and if, if you've been to India, you know what a big deal <laughs> uh, scooters and motorbikes are there for transportation and every dealer that opens up in India trains on Sam's property and part of the deal is that he is that an hour a day he gets to have spiritual formation with these folks. Now these are folks coming from uh, you know, Hindu backgrounds and, and everything else and and Sam negotiates with a Japanese company on Indian territory uh to to do spiritual formation uh of folks before he launches them out then all over the country uh and many of them uh you know become Jesus followers but the, the, but the point is that's the kind of social spiritual entrepreneurship that I see combined in uh a lot of these kingdom leaders maybe I mentioned do we have time I mention one more uh it, it's sure. it's it, I I think that I think and this doesn't need to get lost in our these business leaders that um, uh, and and other domain leaders that have these um, entrepreneurial and uh, kingdom uh, consciousness, they they are really good at calling the party. They understand that it's going to take collaboration. And you've already mentioned that you highlighted it um, uh, just a few minutes ago. All of these projects that I'm talking about or examples that I gave, it's not a single. Uh, institution or single element pulling this off. It requires cooperation across the political domain, the business, uh, the, the, the private, uh, you know, uh, depending on what the, the deal is, it might involve health care as well, the education. Uh, we work, you know, uh, we I work a lot with folks who are involved in literacy efforts. 
And, of course, that involves the education domain as well as business, as well as the social sector. So uh, these kingdom leaders are these these folks that are really good at, flir- at, at building social fabric toward flourishing. They understand that it's not a one-person, one-pony show here. It's, it's, it has to involve multiple domains. And that requires a collaborative IQ that is um, is not normal uh, in our culture. We are not. We don't seem to be normally collaborative. We tend to be uh, something else. We tend to try to do our own stuff and 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 then maybe get other people to cooperate with us, or we try to coordinate efforts. But true collaboration, um, you know, moves you to a whole new level of um, incarnational presence because. That's the move from doing something for somebody to doing something with somebody. Yeah, you know, Reggie, uh, it's interesting to me. Some of the cross-sector collaborations that have occurred have occurred in industry and in healthcare, and they've resulted in some of the greatest breakthroughs that have ever happened. If uh, if those who are out there uh, can, can, you know, even if you're working with a small company, if you would think about your community and who you might bring together who bring the different kinds of talents and insights together, uh, problems can really be solved. We can see the, the, the needle moving on critical social issues in cities. And, Reggie, you know, one thing that we do with good cities uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, we are often working to help arrange for these things. Could you just take a moment and talk about how you're currently working to promote flourishing cities and, and how we might work together to move the needle on critical social issues? Well, one of the reasons that I uh, hooked up with Glenn, just so you guys uh, and gals on the call know, um, a year ago, a little over a year ago now, right at it, um, I've been watching Good Cities for a number of years as it's developed, and I really do believe that the focus of it um, is something that certainly spoke to me and called out my own passion, and, and uh, you know, I'm in my 60s now, so I'm. I want this chapter to be really focused uh, on uh, kingdom impact in our in our cities. And so, there are a couple of vehicles or or processes or whatever that we have in in our uh, bag that that help this notion. One is the city convene, and Glenn's been doing this for a number of years. Maybe some of you participate in it. Uh, we're planning one right now for State College in October, and um, and that's where local leaders come together again, cross domain, largely uh, generated the parties being called by some of the faith leaders there, but not exclusively, and uh, and just to to see what is it that um, you know that that we could work on together here in a local uh, area to really collaboratively have initiatives that that move the needle both in individual efforts and, and then collectively. And so those city convene, uh, there's a day and a half kinds of events where it's mostly to get a conversation going. Then there's some folks that tend to rise up out of that and say, well, we're really serious about this. I mean, help us. And so we have what we call a city impact accelerator, which really pulls from a lot of the work that, um, or, or a lot of the learnings from my leadership network days on, leadership communities, how do you move from an idea to implementation to impact? And so, you know, some of the secret sauce out of that learning and all is is dialed into our city impact accelerators. 
so that we take a group of people over an 18-month period and, and meet with them four times in, in two-day gatherings and really, really push the need, uh, push the envelope and, and push the, the, uh, the speed that they use to, to wrap, ramp up and, and deal with some issues. So I'm excited about, uh, the, you know, the connection here and, and I'm glad to uh, give that bit of promo. That's, that, that's exactly what I'm doing these days. <laughs> well, Reggie, I'm excited to have you on our team too. Um, they often say you should hire people who are more qualified than you are, and I often feel that about you. I'm so glad to have you on the team. And uh, if you want to learn more about Good Cities and how we serve communities, you can check us out at goodcities.net. And again, all of the recordings for all of these calls are there. Uh, By the way, I just might mention in the middle of this call here, some of what Reggie's been talking about has come from his new book, uh, Kingdom Collaborators, that came out this year with IVP Press. And uh, you may want to get a copy of that to learn more about uh, how collaboration really uh, builds flourishing communities everywhere. Also, I'm going to mention here in the middle of the call that on July 19th, Alan McMillan from Athens, Ohio, who's the vice president for enrollment and student development at Hocking College and an adjunct professor at Ohio University's College of Business, uh, will be on the call talking about what he's doing to inspire young people with his Learn, Earn, Retire, a Roadmap for Life program that he's now done with thousands of college students around the country and how this business is is uh, setting a high vision and bar for students as they think about their future. Uh, and uh, it'll be very interesting and lively call with Alan, who's been a friend of mine since high school. So I'm looking forward to having Alan on the call. Right now, we're going to make the transition. Uh, if you've muted your uh, your phone line for the first half of the call, we're going to encourage you to unmute your line and uh, and give us your name, and uh, where you're from, and then ask your question of Reggie. Who's going to be first? Hi, this is Mark Washington from Chicago. Uh, I work with MBA students with InterVarsity. Um, Reggie, my question is, if you had to categorize how you see businesses engaging in city transformation, is it more along the lines of what you might call compassion ministries of helping people with immediate kind of mercy needs, or is there a fair amount of engagement with dealing with systems and changing the systems that create the needs in the first place? Well, it's it's both. Uh, I would say that there are many businesses and probably the average um or more typical, if I use it, but maybe use that word, approaches. There's something that attracts either that business owner or employees, some issue that they want to address. Now, occasionally there are people uh, like a Joey, for instance, who, who understand more systemic change and what has to happen uh, to shift, uh, you know, to shift the narrative or, or to, to really take on or like a Larry James in Dallas who understands huge systems. So he works with immigration and he works with uh, employment opportunities, not just food and clothing, and, you know, how many tons of food we hand out or whatever, but how do we help people get a, a, a better life? So, so it's both. I would say that the majority fall in the category of 
they're they're called into it with some need. But what's uh, the, the addressing what what happens though is even in those situations where there is systemic understanding, oftentimes the portal or threshold uh, into that is that there was some issue that uh, uh, piques the interest of the business person uh, or company, and so they came in on that issue, but then begin to understand, whoa, this is this is more multifaceted than we first anticipated. You know, uh, if I could add to that, Mark, one one thing, one really valuable resource that we're really building at, at the Good Cities website are the recordings of these interviews, and uh, and a couple of interviews that would look at systemic change that I think you'd be interested in. Uh, last year, for instance, in uh, November, we interviewed Jonathan Halperin, who uh, talked about open hiring, where they hire the first person who applies at Grayston Bakery in Yonkers. And they've started the Open Hiring Institute, and this is overcoming the barriers that uh, exist for people who have reentered the society from prison or who've been homeless or who have been uh, uh, undereducated, perhaps, don't have their high school degree. They hire the first person who applies at, uh, at Grayston Bakery. And then we've also done uh, interviews with folks who are talking about purposeful investing, and uh, I think about Matt Wyatt and, uh, and his work with Barry Waymiller. They have over 12,000 employees worldwide, and they've acquired uh, probably more than 20 companies over time, many of them in small communities, and they've worked to keep these businesses going and growing so that, uh, so that the employment base stays strong in these smaller communities. And we've also talked to people like Mike Simon and, and Bill Barberg, uh, who are, uh, are using technology to improve the way services are being delivered to people in communities. And right now, uh, Bill Barberg's working on collective impact to solve the opioid crisis in our country. So I would say that many, many business leaders are most interested in how they can get at the causes uh, of systemic problems in our society, and they're working hard at that uh, with some of the new and innovative approaches that they're taking. You can find uh, examples of that throughout those recordings on our site. Thank this you. This is Amy Sherman from uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, Reggie, my question for you, you mentioned um, the combination of social and spiritual entrepreneurship. You talk about that in your book. Um, my question is, um, if you were to stand up in a pulpit um, and give a sermon and you wanted to uh, kind of ignite excitement uh, among uh, the folks listening to you um, about that, like, what would be sort of three or four things you would say about, like, this is a theology of of entrepreneurship, like this, this is how this stuff isn't just a good idea, but it, it really, there's a way in which we can kind of think about this idea of entrepreneurship from a, from a, a theological perspective. Well, I think theologically, I mean, um, it, yeah, in a pulpit setting, I would probably come at this through um, a, a discipleship people development uh threshold or, or or place of jumping off, good neighboring, whatever, 
where I would talk about how we are designed uh, to uh, take risk, to uh, not stupid risk, but to be curious. Uh, it's part of the image of God in us, and we are designed to help other people, and that really in helping other people, uh, we actually become more of who we are. Uh, so it's kind of this uh, double loop, and it's it's a brilliant thing. I mean, we would all expect God to be pretty smart, but the way he set it up is just kind of incredible. You know, the more the more I am, um, it, you know, the, the more that I'm available to others, in a, uh, in, in, in then the more I actually become me. Um, and uh, there are some questions, I think, that help people get to that. Like, you know, so I, I would probably spend some time in that pulpit settings. What are you paying attention to? What grabs your interest? I might even have people turn to each other and say, you know, what keeps you up at night kind of things in terms of a societal issue or problem or whatever. Then I think people need to realize they've, they've come into this world with certain strengths. Entrepreneurs know what they're good at. They also know what they need to recruit to. So there are some things that we, we are, we bring to the table, but what do we need to build around the table uh, in our lives? But in particular, if I was just saying, Hey, go get them, gang. What what interests you, and then what what are you good at? Uh, be sure you have a scorecard so that you can mark progress on this, and you know when you're making headway because people really tire pretty easily if they don't know uh, if they can't somehow measure or celebrate some progress. So those would be some of the things. I mean that's a that's probably a 48 minute sermon. Uh, you know, people would have left it at, at minute 23. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know that that's all that helpful. I, I I wrote a book called Get Off Your Donkey. I think it sold three copies, and um, <laughs> and and but the subtitle was help help uh, somebody and help yourself. Uh, this whole idea that. Uh, you know, if we really want to get engaged with the needs of the world, it's our best way of coming home to ourselves. Uh, it's kind of a, and it, it's, but then anyway, uh, practically, I ask folks those things, I guess. Great. Thank you. <laughs> sure. You've decided not to have me speak, haven't you, uh, after hearing that response? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Reggie, this is Neil Cox. In, this is Neil Cox in Indianapolis. I want to follow up on uh, that question of Amy's, uh, and especially your comment about uh, having a scorecard or people will tire uh, pretty easily if they don't see progress. Okay, so Jesus sent us into 100% of the world to make disciples and teach them to obey 100% of His commands. Uh, thinking of a uh, thinking systemically of a city. Um, what what would make a good city set of uh, metrics to put in a scorecard so that we'd know that we were actually reaching a hundred percent and uh, and teaching a hundred percent of what Jesus commanded? Well, it's interesting that you should ask because that that in fact is one of the questions that have uh, that have uh, Glenn and I um, or Glenn and me talking seriously about. Um, Glenn, can I talk about uh, this a, a bit? Um, we're yeah, interested I, I think, in that question. I think it's just we're people, people would be very interested to hear 
the projects that we're currently working on well, that are in the can, but uh, yeah, but okay. haven't haven't been published yet. <laughs> well, no. Well, here, here here's what I would say, Neil. I think we think that some kind of uh, flourishing city index uh, would be very helpful for folks, not just in the faith. I'm I'm talking about something that could be accessible across domains. And um and we are um we're 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 at the first stages of working it. So I can't answer your question, but we want to answer that question. I think it's a great question. You know, Neil, let me just say this that uh we're we're engaging right now in two uh actually three cities uh to test out uh, some of the measurement concepts of, of a flourishing city index that we, I would say that we're trying, we, we hope will be rolled out and that cities will be able to use within about 18 months. Um, and we're working very closely with, a, with, with uh, some researchers who will be uh, tracking our work as well as uh, tracking uh, some very holistic measurements that currently exist but haven't been consolidated. Um, but, uh, you know, I, there's a lot of great measurement that's going on all the time in, in, uh, in trying to understand how we can help, uh, I think, really promote the common good of all people in cities so that they have the opportunity to live flourishing lives. Reggie, is there anything more you want to add on that? No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just, no. Um, and, and okay. yeah, I think, and, and all I want to do is affirm that question. I think it's one we all, yeah, we all see how important it is. So we need to get at it. Right. Hi, Reggie. This is uh, Scott Myers in Akron, Ohio. Um, uh, how are you? Another... Good. How are you doing, Reggie? Good. You sound, you sound like you're doing good. So. <laughs> Maybe kind of an observation more than a question, but maybe you could speak to it. And I, and I think it kind of has a relation to um, Amy's question, too. Um, you know, in, in making distinctions, there's some distinctions that I don't know that the Faith at Work movement is real clear on yet, uh, or at least I haven't heard it, but there's there are people who can determine the, the aims and the methods of businesses as they get involved in communities. And then there's people who go to work for businesses who really don't have any control over the aims and the methods that they pursue in those businesses. And so when you're speaking to a broad group of believers about how their work matters to God and how their work can impact the community, there's kind of a, almost a great divide between those who work for others and have influence and those who, you know, determine aims and methods and have a lot more impact um so can can you sort of talk to sure. those being two different audiences and how you reflect on that well i think that that's a, a the, that certainly is uh an apt uh, description or characterization of where a lot of folks are so you, you know we just really have to break it down and say look you have to be responsible in the area where you do have influence um, and if you can't influence your whole company or you're not in charge of that, uh, there are things that interest you that you might interest your coworkers in or ways that you could, you know, speak into their lives or 
or, you know, make contributions there. But I think we all have to decide where our spheres of influence. Um, and, you know, it starts at home and then, you know, to the workplace and then, you know, on out from there. And so depending on your level of stewardship of, of those spheres of influence would 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 greatly shape the kind of contribution that you want can and want to make. So I, I'm, I don't know how to do it otherwise, because laying a burden on people, uh, and I think this is to your point, laying a burden on people for the whole company if they don't have responsibility or capacity for that um, would be inappropriate. That just adds to guilt, which further demoralizes our folks sitting in the pew. They need to be understanding that they can make a difference in their neighbor, uh, literally, uh, you know, their coworker neighbor, their work neighborhood, but also their living neighborhood. And I think folks just need to be encouraged to do that. I do think sometimes we, and those of us who speak, and we'll use examples, uh, and I'm guilty, that, you know, these big epic kinds of things, And uh, but a lot of people don't live in epic narratives. And um, I'm always, I deal with leaders mostly, so that's why I talk about epic matters so much. But, you know, in my uh, missional community that I'm a part of, uh, it's very granular. You know, it's how can Henry be a, a you know a, a better lobbyist? How can how can Melanie, uh, in her role, uh, is uh, make a difference in the state educational system? So I think it has to be both. But I think sometimes we need to pay more attention to just helping people make a difference right where they are. I mean that that Samaritan story that has inspired Lord knows how much good in the world. It's one guy helping one guy. You know? Great. Thanks, Reggie. And just, just a, a last little comment before someone else asks a question. Just uh, When somebody has that higher level of stewardship for an organization, a lot of times, because so many people aren't in that role, nobody addresses you know, what I think of as a higher level of accountability with them. And, and so I think there's an awareness that maybe they don't get, you know, certainly not from... Uh, the pulpit and and I you know as you and Glenn know I've been looking for years for a place where people in those roles get together and share with each other and it's just it seems to be seems to be absent but thank thanks great uh, response yeah I think I, I think you're right I mean and there need to be um, strategies crafted for each of these levels I think yeah. yeah actually I'm working with a group I'll be with them next month. And uh, part of our discussion there, uh, it's up in Northeast Texas, and it's a community-wide um, organization. They're involved in a variety of, of issues, all the way from hunger, you know, food challenge to education to uh, economic opportunity, all that. So it's, it's pretty pretty diverse. But one of our conversations actually next month is about engaging business leaders on a more strategic level precisely what you're talking about um and um so uh, i think you're you're right great reggie this is uh matt randerson with a question here um you had talked um about um, building cross-domain efforts, um, seeing that that's a really uh, encouraging thing uh, that you're seeing in uh, flourishing cities. Um, kind of pull apart to say, just 
categorically two domains would be maybe the local church and then in or some of the businesses that exist within that community. Um, if you could speak to both groups, uh, if you could give a word of encouragement or correction or uh, a pointer to say, hey, church, uh, here's something that, that, that you need to work on to make this cross-domain effort more uh, more effective. And then on the other side would maybe be what would be the word of encouragement, correction, or what it might be that you give to businesses to say, as you think about try to try to work with the church, just kind of speak to those two categories. Uh, what, what would you say to each of them um, in the in the name of building better cross-domain effort? Well, uh, I'll start with the church group uh, since I work there a whole lot. And I would say to them and do say to them that we've got to have a narrative shift uh, from a church centric. I mean, to support what you're asking me to, you know, to get out there and make a difference for flourishing cities, we're going to have to become less church centric and more kingdom centric. Um, All of our scorecard has been about what happens on Sunday at the church and church programming and all that. And so un- until we shift the, the narrative and shift the scorecard and shift the leadership stewardship in these church cultures, um, then we're going to keep getting more of the same with the church, you know, becoming less relevant. So I would probably, I would work really hard on them, on them under, on those leaders understanding that this is a big deal here, that we are misaligned with God's primary mission on planet earth, which is not the church, but is his kingdom. I mean, Jesus didn't teach us to pray thy church comes, crying out loud. And he talked about, and Jesus was kingdom obsessed. So, I mean, 90 plus times, we, you know, the kingdom, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, he mentions church once, and it's against the backdrop of keys to the kingdom. So, I mean, the kingdom drives the thing, and the church has a role, and it's to point people to the kingdom. Uh, and sometimes we view the kingdom as a subset of church activity. It's just the other way around. Church is a subset of kingdom activity, so we need to be hooked up to the larger story. So I hammer on that a lot with church leaders. Now, what's, what you might find interesting about that is a lot of light bulbs go on, and a lot of church leaders who are dealing with church as institution, and it's killing them, you know, they, it's like, you know, dolphin coming up for, uh, you know, for food at SeaWorld. I mean, they, they just jump. It's like announcing jailbreak to these church leaders because they know this stuff is, you know, the gigs up on, uh, more and more institutional church. They, we've got to realign with real life issues. That's what God is really concerned about. Uh, so that's where I'd start with church leaders and I do start with them there and, and uh, you know, we, we have a great time, very robust discussions around it and, and some, some transformation occurs actually. If I were talking with business leaders, I would affirm first of all that what they're doing in commerce is uh, you know, and, and I would own up to them my own faith background and say, and I want you to know that what you're doing um in in commerce is meant to be part of uh you know the what God expects people to do i mean God didn't make a garden and then decide to make people to work it you know uh he made work to get people done he didn't make people to get work done, and so what they are doing in commerce and business is critical informing people and, and, and as people development uh, and is meant to be 
a form of people development. So I would challenge them then saying, so how are the people doing in your business? Not, and and uh, let's just start inside. How, you know, are people better off because they're working at your place, or are they worse off? Are people able to, you know, uh, to, to grow there? And do they know that they're growing? And because this is that's a that's a key thing is people development in everything. And then I would move it to analysis and externally. How are you doing to help people develop outside? I just think we've we've divorced business from the ultimate. Uh, narrative, which is, you know, people are built to last. Businesses are not built to last. Companies are not, you know, churches, uh, countries for crying out loud. I mean, people last. And so I would try to hook them to that larger narrative as a way to motivate them to think through everything they're doing, whether or not their own people are growing, whether they're growing themselves, or if it's just bottom line stuff and satisfying. Uh, you know, stockholders or stakeholders or whatever. Is there a way people can get in touch with you? Well, sure. Um, I mean, you know, uh, Reggie at goodcities.net works great. Um, or my my phone number is 803-730-8905. You can call, text. I, I return just about every call. <laughs> That's great. Except yours. Except mine. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Well, folks, yeah. I, I think we've come to the end of our call today, and uh, it's been quite a. It's been a pleasure to have Reggie McNeil with us on this call and to hear from Reggie his uh, just real insights into uh, the ways in which flourishing communities can be developed. We really believe that businesses have a critical role to play in this. And uh, for those of you who are business leaders on the call today, we thank you for the ways in which you're serving as a leader in your own community. And uh, we we want to pray for and continually uh, think with you about ways in which businesses can be an agent of community benefit, and uh, both with their employees and with folks in their communities. Today, we've heard a number of examples that Reggie shared. Reggie, thank you so much for being on this call today. Oh, I'm glad to do it. Besides, I didn't have any choice. I mean, you made me do it. So, um, <laughs> you know, you're the president. You know, I'm just the other guy <laughs> at Good City. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't twist arms very hard, and you were, you you seem to be glad to come on. So I'm, I'm glad I'm about happy. that. I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled. It's good to connect with all you folks. Reggie, would you pray for uh, those who have come on this call today and who may listen to this recording? Sure. Father, thanks for cutting us in on the deal, for giving us glimpses of what you're up to. I pray for my brothers and sisters here on this call, these magnificent leaders that in their spheres of influence that they will be encouraged by what they see in here, that you will spark in them uh, and keep alive the hope that is so important for that keeps us all going. And I pray that um, that I and they will just say yes. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Thanks for being with us today, and uh, we're so glad all of you could join us on this call.